You're listening to Cosford FM. I'm Bex. How are you doing? Uh, something really special for you now, actually. I'm here with Tim Davis, squadron leader Tim Davis. He's a former flying instructor at RAF Valley. He's a fast jet pilot. And he now runs a, a website, a coaching website called fastjetperformance.com with all kinds of great tips and performance advice on there. It's great to have you here. How are you doing, Bracky? Okay. Yeah, good. So I wanted to chat to you a bit about your your career and what you've done, how you've got to where you are and all the things that you've kind of experienced really in your time in the RAF. So if we go sort of, I suppose, back to the very, very start, uh, was it always what you wanted to do? Was, were you one of those kids who looked up at the sky and was like, yeah, planes? I think all of us are those kids, to be honest <laughs> with you. So when we're, when we're small, what we do is look in the sky and we see aeroplanes flying around and the ones that are really noisy and fast, most of us ask who uses those and who owns those. And uh, they normally belong to the RAF or the Royal Navy. So we end up joining and flying those. And that was, for me, I joined 20 years ago. I joined the Navy first off, and then we lost something called the Sea Harrier before I actually got onto it. So I ended up uh, transferring to the Royal Air Force and flying the Tornado GR4. So initially you wanted to join the Navy. Is that because of Top Gun? You're <laughs> channeling your inner Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's interesting. I am Tom Cruise. I look exactly like him. It's a little bit taller. My history, when it goes back, is all about failure, failing exams, academic failure. I'm quite good at that. Because, of course, that's one of the things, isn't it? People look at failure and they think that's an end state. Whereas I think failure is part of success. You need failure in order to succeed. So for me... Back uh, when I did my GCSEs and didn't do very well and my A-levels didn't do very well, um, I was turned down by the Royal Air Force uh, again and again. In fact, they said never come back. Which, and you didn't take the hint. <laughs> their loss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I actually went and uh, the Navy are very good in that respect because they tend to not look at the academics as much. They look at the person. Um, so I joined the Navy and I spent five years in the Navy. And as I said, as I got to end of my flying training, which you do alongside the Royal Air Force, by the way, I was about to step onto the sea area and it was decommissioned. And so uh, unfortunately, there were about nine of us that didn't have an airplane to fly. So we, we changed, we trained on, uh, we went into the Air Force, the Air Force picked us up and we went and flew Air Force airplanes. So just rewinding a little bit, I think it's quite interesting that you say that, you know, you kind of struggled with your GCSE thing. I think a lot of people probably have a conception that, well, to be a pilot, you really have to excel. So is that not the case? Oh, don't, yeah, I mean, I do excel in everything <laughs> I do. No, it's, um, no, you're absolutely right. You do need a certain level of academia. Absolutely. Of course you do. The, the courses that we have to go through in the Air Force and, and in the Navy, of course, and even in Army flying training, obviously everything together, exceptionally difficult. What we look for, of course, is the academics from an individual that shows that they're going to be able to get through the flying training course. It's full on. Flying training for uh, military fast jets is about, it should be three and a half years. It's a bit longer right now. But you're going you're gonna to be flying these aeroplanes for that length of time. And then you're going to go onto the front line to fly typhoons. And the exams will never stop. So you'll have to upgrade your skill set. You'll have to learn how to uh, be a two-ship leader or a pairs leader and a four-ship leader. All these things mean something in flying, but there's added responsibility. Um, there's other things you can do, qualified weapons instructor, electronic warfare instructor. So these things take exams. So we have to know that you've demonstrated a certain level of academics that we can accept you in. This is why we have a minimum requirement and you're likely to pass these, these exams as you go through. So for me personally, yeah, I wasn't exactly inspired in school. My school wasn't a great one fine it's one of those things um and i don't look back at that now as, as holding me back at all as i've said you know one of the most senior flying instructors in the royal air force over the last decade so um hasn't done much harm if anything because of that those failures in my early academic side um, i was able to look at those and think right how can i learn from these to make sure i go on further and don't fail in the future and that's what we teach our students as they come through flying training as well to embrace that failure as a learning opportunity is what it is don't let the failure drag you into a negative space use the failure to to get yourself into something 
more positive. The Air Force is also very much interested in what you're doing outside of that academics. I mean, that's really important to us. We don't just want a, a sheet full of A's across the board. I mean, that, that might get you into interview, but during the interview, they're going to ask what else you did alongside that. So the broad spectrum approach is really what people are or should be aiming for. And that's what I teach people outside. Oh, all good tips. Really fascinating stuff as well. Uh, I'd like to speak to you a little bit more, Tim, uh, after this. You're listening to Cosford FM. I'm Bex and I'm speaking today to squadron leader Tim Davies. And, and you've been telling me, Tim, that you started in the Royal Navy uh, but then they didn't have any planes for you to fly so what happened then? I ended up transferring across to the Air Force um, I went to a base called Lossiemouth, which flies Typhoons now, but I was flying the Tornado GR4. I initially went to the Operational Conversion Unit to learn to fly the Tornado, which uh, is called 15 Squadron. Then across the road, uh, I joined 12 Squadron, which is quite a was a great squadron. It's still um, it's about to stand up with Typhoons now. And then I flew Tornadoes for four years, uh, went did two Iraq tours with the big jet um, Southern Iraq, and then I went back to RF Valley, where we learned to fly on the Hawk T1, which is what the Red Arrows fly. And then I became an instructor on that aeroplane for about uh, three, four years. Uh, asked for a break, so I've flown constantly then since the age of about 23. I'd flown for, at that point, probably about 10, 12 years, something. So I asked for a break. So the Air Force, um, very kindly, sent me to Afghanistan for six months, which was a... <laughs> That's the kind of break that <laughs> you, break. you need, isn't it? That's the break you get. Uh, I work with the US Army out there um, in strategic communications. So with NATO training mission in Afghanistan, which was fascinating. There's a great bunch of guys in the US Army. They really are. And then I came back from that and we were bringing a new aircraft in called the Hawk T2, which is like your updated version of the Hawk T1. So I became an instructor on that aeroplane and I stayed there on that aeroplane for probably five, maybe six years. Uh, I think I saw about 24 courses go through on that aeroplane and I became uh, someone called officer commanding the standards flight, which was responsible for all the instruction standards of the students and the instructors on what was and still is, in fact, the largest fast jet squadron in the Royal Air Force. Wow. Not a lot of responsibility then. No. So obviously, from from what you've said, your career has been fast jet based. Was that definitely what you were only interested in? I mean, if you'd been told you couldn't fly those, do you think you'd have had a disappointment or? No, no, there's some fantastic. I mean, honestly, there's some fantastic airplanes. There's some great toys and services. And uh, I wouldn't have reminded what I'd flown, in all honesty, because you don't know. What about helicopters? No, absolutely not. They are absolutely <laughs> dangerous. I don't know why they fly. Every, all of them should be banned. And I will get so much banter for that because I've got, I've got so many helicopter mates out there. And if you look at, if you ever get a chance to go to RAF Odium, and you probably won't, but if you ever do, go to the bar in the officer's mess and next to the bar is a room. And you go into the room and it's got um, distinguished flying crosses all on the wall, all awards, all these guys. And the whole room is covered with these awards. It's absolutely incredible what the guys did in Afghan. Um, those helicopters, those Chinooks that were flying out there in the Pumas were getting shot at. They were getting bullet holes through them the whole time. It was amazing that we didn't actually lose one, but I've got nothing but respect for those guys. Not only for what they did out in Afghan and Iraq, but also the fact that they get in those helicopters and fly them at all. <laughs> because they just want to kill themselves, don't they, helicopters? Um, no, I wouldn't have minded. In fact, I joined the Navy to fly helicopters off the back of frigates. I've got a lot of friends um, that did that, frigates and destroyers, uh, flew Navy links. So I'd love to have done that. And it's, uh, you can't do everything. It's like, I would love to have flown the Harrier. If I got better scores or whatever, or the Navy was still flying the Harrier, I may well have got a chance to fly that. But I know Harrier pilots who would have loved to have flown the Tornado because of the train following radar, the, the low-level night attack or weather capability that we had. So you just don't get a chance to experience everything, unfortunately. So yeah, would I like to fly multi-engines? I think the stuff that my brother's in the Air Force um, as well. Well, he's not in the Air Force anymore. He was. He was a Hercules pilot. So he used to take that big jet and land on small strips in the desert. Um, all sorts of crazy stuff. So it's not normal flying. Military flying is anything but normal flying, yeah. But here's the other thing as well. So you don't don't wait for people to come up to you and offer you opportunities in life. What happened to me was I was in the Navy and literally 
99.9% people out of what we call elementary flying training, where you fly the little piston airplanes with the propeller on the front and you're learning up, down, left, right, you know, point the stick down, cows get bigger, pull it back, cows get smaller, all that. That is fundamentally what is flying about, actually, that is it. Um, when uh, I, I was finishing that training course, 99.9% of all the naval pilots were going on and to fly helicopters. That's what just what you did. And then 0.1% were going to fly the Sea Harrier. And no one really knew how they got selected. I guess the best guys were the ones that went to fly the Sea Harrier. But there was a commander at um, Cranwell, a naval commander. He was responsible for all the streaming, which is where we decide who goes where. So I went to his office one day towards the end of the course. And I said to him, I said, I think I'd like to go and fly jets, but I don't know. And he was a helicopter pilot. And he said, well, why do you want to fly jets? Helicopters are the way forward. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. I think I'd like to go and fly Sea Harriers. I think that sounds pretty good. Take the jet to sea and everything. You know, I want to be part of that small unit capability. And he said, all right, if you tell me you can do it and you're not going to let me down, then I'll give you the chance. So he gave me the chance. And I got streamed to fly, um, off to go and fly Sea Harriers. I got sent to uh, Linton on News to fly the Tucano, then Valley to fly the Hawk. And then, of course, we lost the Sea Harrier in the end, but ended up flying tornadoes for the Air Force. So the key here is he would never have offered me that. He, he's waiting for someone to knock on his door and say, I really want to do it. I'm not going to let you down. Give me the opportunity and I'll, I'll make it happen. So I, I think a lot of people in life wait for things to happen. They wait for the promotions. They wait for the opportunities. They wait for the job to come up. It's never going to come up. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, you have to make your own opportunities in life, don't you? And I think fast jet flying, uh, it's really one of those things that so many people think that they'd like to do or would have loved to have done. What does it really take to make it happen? The, the actual course of flying jets is long. And it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard for all different types of aircraft as well. Don't get me wrong, but the fast jet course is a long course. So we need to know that people are getting good grades, that they're dedicated to doing it. Some people don't want to fly jets. The majority of people joining up now want to fly helicopters because of what they've seen in Afghan and Iraq. You know, they they want to fly these helicopters out there and do what those guys did, and it's fantastic and it's it's brilliant. Those guys can. So we we don't struggle to get guys and girls to come in and fly jets. I used to teach on phase four flying training. So that was the last phase before you go to the front line. And we'd see people in these in these courses and we'd see them stagnate or or just they, they weren't doing as well as they used to. So we had to take them one side and, and ask them if they still want to actually fly these jets on the front line. Because to keep that motivation up for three and a half years is hard. It's hard, especially when you think if you fail at any time, you're back to the beginning. And if you're lucky, they're going to give you a, a helicopter uh, course. Or if you're lucky, they're going to give you a, a transport aircraft course. It's not easy and you've got to keep that motivation up. So it's just something that um, we, we take a great interest in in trying to um, make sure that people get what they want to fly. So if you are coming out of elementary flying training and you desperately want to fly multi-engines, you just need to tell someone, you know, I want to fly a Hercules or whatever. I want to fly A400. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't. So if you want to do, if you want to fly jets and I can make that happen, um, then I would. I would do everything I could to try. Um, and obviously, the, the further you get through flying training as well, the more cohesive that unit of instructor-student bond is, because those guys and girls are going to be on the front line, uh, as I was and as I would be if I stayed in the service. Uh, I'm leaving in June, but we're going to be working together in the future. And in three to six years' time, those those students that I'm training now will come back as instructors themselves. So it's all about embracing um, them, the, the skill sets, helping them get to the front line. And uh, we do everything we can. I mean, the money we spend, it's almost, I think, £7 million to get someone into a fast jet cockpit when it looks at the wow. training value. So you don't want to waste that money. So at that, at that point, when you're first there and you're like, oh, actually, this isn't a simulation now. This is this is real. How, how does that feel? And how do you prepare yourself for that? Well, the training is is thorough. I mean, and obviously, synthetics are a big thing, which are, people would know as simulators on the outside. So we have a heavy element of simulator. We run them through every single emergency they ever get into. Um, exposure. So they, they do fly a lot before they... I mean, they've covered a lot of aircraft as well um, before they've actually they get into a jet cockpit. And they do solos on every aircraft they do to build up. Solos are really important in flying training. Um, it's very easy to get rid of the solo trips and replace them with a dual trip with an instructor, thinking that... 
you don't need to go solo, but you do. It's about building confidence. Like yeah, because you you've say. always got that safety blanket otherwise, yeah, really, exactly. haven't you? I'll always take control of you and stop you killing yourself um, just because I don't particularly want to die, you know. But uh, so but <laughs> students will do the silliest thing. So, and rightly so, they're still discovering. So that's why we give them a jet and we say, can you please bring this back? <laughs> it costs 28 million pounds. I'd like you to return to this if you can. Uh, and then generally they do. But um, we do place a lot of responsibility in them. This is why we only pick the best people, um, people that are confident in their abilities, but not um, overconfident, obviously. We understand that um, everyone will struggle at some point, And that's why we, uh, we, we fly with them until the point they can go solo. And then we get as many solo trips in as the course will allow. Uh, build the confidence and then obviously we give them a typhoon and put them over North Syria. Just like that. You make it sound so simple. Uh, right, we're going to be hearing more from Tim Davis after this. You're listening to Cosford FM. This is Cosford FM. I'm Bex and I'm speaking to Tim Davis. He runs fastjetperformance.com. As you might guess from that, he is a former fastjet pilot and also flying instructor who's based up at RAF Valley. Uh, talked about how you sort of get to that point. But uh, I've got, I think, a bit more of a critical question. It's one of those need-to-know questions. When you're flying these things, what do you do for lunch? How do you eat? They used to give you little packed lunches like you get for school. Because the problem is crisps. <laughs> you have some hula hoops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Skittles. The Americans love Skittles. Oh, not Skittles. Oh, oh that's going to go everywhere. Like it did. And of course, the bag expands and expands. <laughs> oh, no. And then you'd, you'd open it. Well, I wouldn't open it because I wouldn't take Skittles flying, but my navs would. My navigators would. They would say, oh, I've got a bit of an issue back here. We've had, had a bit of an explosion in the cockpit and there's Skittles everywhere. And they would find Skittles in those jets for years. Oh, no. Because, yeah. well, what if they get down some, some important they component? They're going to have to strip the whole thing the engineers out, are not happy when you get, take skittles flying get out of a purple yeah, skittle exactly yeah, and you, they, they give you things like sandwiches to eat and of course you, you've got to take your mask <laughs> off trying to eat a sandwich it's either you, you breathe or you eat it's not you can't do both and what about dare i say um if you get caught short going to the toilet and everything is you have these little bags with you no with little sponges do in you there. actually i just yeah. assume that you just have to hold it well yeah if, well, you can i mean us professionals <laughs> i like that inverse camels you know we can hold it for eight hours it's absolutely fine but um yeah, you, you just uh, you make the seat safe. It's an ejection seat, so you have to put the seat pin back in and then you carefully unstrap and you can use a little bag with a little sponge in. Is wow. Idea. These are the things you don't think about, aren't This they? is why I'm here. I'm bringing fast jet flying to the masses right now. I mean, if we're not making it sound glamorous now... Yeah, then... exactly. Everyone wants to fly jets now. Everyone wants to fly jets. But you've certainly taken away uh, some of the glamour there anyway. Um, but it must be quite a lot of fun, very prestigious as well. What would you say are some of your career highlights? We've got a lot of fly pass we've done for the Queen. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, practising those, going over Windsor Castle, that kind of thing. And she clapped when we went over. Uh, could you see her? Uh, well, I could see Going her. too fast. I, I have this. I have this ability to see the Queen while I'm travelling at 500 miles an hour. Um, so fly pass are obviously good. Uh, they're, they're pretty good. I, I used to enjoy flying passengers. Uh, if you can give something back to the taxpayer. Uh, it's, it's harder now to do that, unfortunately, the construct we're in. But um, we used to do that quite a bit, is get people flying as much as we could. And when we look back now, what we did in the tornado on the west coast of Scotland was... I don't think that will ever be repeated now on any aircraft type coming in. It was, you get airborne, you might not get above 500 feet, but you, you put the train following radar in, it's at night, you, you can be in cloud, in and out of cloud, um, and you're down at 250 feet, the jet flying itself, and you're, you're on the run to a target. And at, at the time, you, you might be in a, a four ship, which means there's three other aircraft around you. About a mile to the right might be an aircraft, and two miles behind you might be another back pair. And then you would get um, F3s that would launch out Lucas that would try and shoot you down. So that's why you don't get a chance to look out the cockpit because it's yeah. full on busy. You're running the systems, you're you're working front to back with your nav, you're doing a lot of electronic warfare as well, which is trying to suppress um, emissions from other aircraft that are trying to kill you. So it all gets very complicated, but now you're doing it at, you know, at night, sort of in and out as a set of cloud, at, at low level, with the jet trying to fly itself over the sea. I mean, it's dark. You know, West Coast of Scotland is dark. You can't see anything. 
So um, that's probably the hardest flying I've ever done. Yeah, sounds it. It's been fascinating. He found out so much from you today, Tim. Um, what would you say, where do you think fast jet flying is going? What we're looking at is right now we've got pilots in F-35 that's coming in and we've got a pilot there because the amount of information that aircraft is going to absorb is going to need to be processed and then sent out by the pilot to other things. At the moment, we're saying a pilot can do that. But, you know, let's. I think the United States military said um, by 2035 that only one of their helicopters is going to be manned. By wow. So that's where we're going. And if you, you can't deny that. So we can pretend, if you want to, that we still need pilots and fast jets. We can do this. And all the all the pilot community will phone me up, and they always do. <laughs> um, you know, we all bleat at each other, don't we? So you're, t- you're talking about a job, and I'm not talking about a job at all. You're going to be a drone operator. But a lot of guys that do come off um, manned aircraft, you know, flying with me, uh, would go. They do go, and they do go and fly drones. They go and become drone operators, because that's, that's what's happening. That's the future. Um, it's. I think I've lived through a really glorious time of, very very complicated aviation i'm very fortunate to have done that is it sad is it the future yeah it's just what it is just embrace it and if you're joining the military now you've got some man platforms to fly so get in go and do it yeah absolutely now's the time now's the time it's a great place to be it really is a great place to be um it's a lovely place to go and bond with some people um do your thing get some flying in it's really challenging as well we need challenges we need purpose in life don't we a lot of people don't do that happy to sit in an office nine to five um that's not what life should be about would you have uh, been interested in being a drone operator, do you think? Or do you think you'd have just thought, you know, uh-huh. I'll go do something else? You know what? Okay, I've got a lot of guys flying drones, um, flying Reaper Predator, all those kind of things. And they are great people. And they flew with me on the squadrons I flew with. And any one of us could have ended up on that, that um, particular platform and doing what they do. It's a hard job. Um, psychologically, it's difficult because they, they, they operate in very different ways for us. I never used to see targets because I've bit 20,000 feet. Um, these guys do see targets. Um, I would have flown. Yeah, I would have gone out there and flown. If that's the way the career went, and that's the other thing about flying in the military, of course, by all means, ask to go and fly things, but the military will have an agenda for you. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's another thing to go and do. It's a variety to, that you're adding to your, your career, isn't it? Something else. And is there anything that you do to try and, you know, get people thinking about a career in the RAF? Well, I, I speak at schools a lot, in fact. Um, I go and speak at schools. Um, I try and inspire the next generation to to eat. just have a look at it. I'm not saying go and join. I'm saying look at it. Go and speak to people who are doing it. You can get on forums now online. I run a big Facebook group for people. It's not a recruitment drive for the military at all. It's about um, I, the, the things we delivered to our students in air combat, I now deliver to people outside. But let's not pretend a career in the military is restrictive because it's not. You get to do a fantastic bunch of things. You get to fly all over the world and, and work in some excellent places with, more importantly, some really, really top people who are all at the top of the game. Yeah, so I do speak at school. I say just open your eyes, have a look at the military. And I suppose the thing to remember as well, which which has struck me, is it's not all about the pilots. It's, you can go and be a photographer. Yeah, you can, you can yeah. go and be a, a personal trainer. In the, and you wouldn't think that that's actually a military career. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, th- this is the thing as well. I try and get across. It's Yeah, you look at the aircraft flying in the sky, but there's a whole bunch of people beneath that that get that aircraft in the sky that the truth is of course in the, air, in the air force everyone is in the air force to put air power airborne that's that's it that's a unifying cause that we all have there are so many different trades and as i said in the royal air force now every trade is open to women as well so i don't know why you wouldn't have a look at the military i mean I, i'm biased because i've been there for 20 years but i wouldn't have stayed for 20 years unless i really liked it in the military you know what you're doing you have a drive you have a purpose you have um you know literally a, an aim a goal and you're very much goal-driven, and you go and do it as a team, and you get things done. And what a good way to be. Uh, so tell me then, you've uh, you've flown these jets for 20 years. What's next? How do you uh, compete with a career on that level? What, what are you going to do next? Well, I need to carry on with some kind of purpose. So what I do, as I said, is I, I run an online group on Facebook called the 12 Months of the Awesome Warrior Programme. It's um, just somewhere where we discuss 
attributes that we used to teach in air combat, such as um, positivity, ownership, um, lead turning, which is planning. Um, we talk about um, sanctuary as a place where we, some people need to go. We all need to go there to, to develop ourselves in a, in a more spiritual sense. So um, we talk about all these kind of things um, and we really engage with that. So I'm doing a lot of that. I've got a book coming out, uh, hopefully later in the year. It's with the publisher right now. It hasn't really even got a title, but it's about decision making in high performance environments. And so I go into companies and I, I talk to them about all sorts of all sorts of things really to try and increase either productivity or um, awareness really of the individual and the self and the team that's where i'm that's where i'm pretty much going yeah and i have had a look on on your website and your facebook group um it's fastjetperformance.com if you've not seen it uh, you can search fastjet performance on facebook uh, some really really interesting stuff on there if you are considering career in the military particularly if you're considering uh becoming a fast jet pilot or you're just generally just a little bit lost i think you're quite good at giving some direction and putting some perspective into things some good podcasts and some uh, some good blogs and things to read through on there uh thank you so much to tim davis for joining us here on cosford fm 